do it, man. Just do it. Let's just do it. Uh, do people, it. Pe do audience it. people, you do are it. listening to The go, Audit Dave. with go, Dave. Dave Anthony and Josh Olson, who keeps yelling at me. Yes. Yeah, I'm the one who yells on this show. That is that is a fact. Good good call. Someone has to bring life to this thing. You see those fools at the back of the class. They don't care about grades or if they fail or pass. They ain't here to learn. They're just here for laughs. The day you're home will just to tear it in half. If you want blood, you got it. You trap a keeper out on it. Give me a crap, I'll blot it. This ain't the tension, baby. This is the This podcast, you know who brings life to the audit, Dave? It's the people, the, the people at the lever who bring us life. They bring Never us to you, it. the award-winning reader supported investigative news outlet. Uh, if you want to support the show, um, go, you can become a paid supporter to the lever, which gives you access to all their stuff and all our stuff, including our bonus content. Um, you can also make a one-time contribution that goes to, uh, uh, I'm not sure where it goes. I think it goes just right into Dave's pocket because um, he's got this massive, massive drug problem. Um, not not to pass judgment on Dave's drug problem or anybody else's drug problem, just probably where it goes. I have a good drug problem. They're, they're, no one said it was bad. Uh, Levernews.com slash audit. Um, you'll see a button for the tip jar. We'll take you to our Venmo page. You can also go directly to the Venmo page. We are at the audit at Venmo under businesses. Um, and then, uh, all of our other stuff, you can follow us at Twitter at, at the audit podcast, and you can even email us at the audit podcast at gmail.com. Um, we got, we got a great one this week. Uh, but before we get into a discussion of Prager universe's universe, Prager universe, universe, the Prager, wow, universe. the Prager, you know, the Prager shared universe. That'd be great. I want to write those movies. I feel like I could <laughs> I feel like I feel like my brain Unfortunately. is soft mush after spending weeks and weeks and weeks watching these things. I could write Prager Universe movies. Now we're going to be getting into like their their take on leftism, on socialism, and communism, which is pretty goddamn hilarious. And of course, we've got a guest who's yeah. way overqualified to even think about this stuff. So we'll get to he's that a in a minute. He's a communist. Um, I think he's a communist. Is he actually a communist? Yeah, he's a commie. He's okay. a commie. Yeah, well, good for him. If in case he's not, we're just alleging. Um, I can't imagine though with his like our guest is is the great Professor Richard Wolf, who's uh, we'll be talking about in a minute. But I've I've never actually heard him say straight up I'm a communist. I love the idea of like this guy is probably America's foremost expert on this subject, um, and proponent of it going, How how dare you? How dare you? <laughs> I'm a I'm a I'm a Clinton Democrat, you fool. Oh my um God. so we we got a problem. We got a problem in, in this country. Uh, what we do? 
Yeah, and and I'm I'm aware of the fact that uh, uh, you're listening to two gentlemen who both have a, a I got a little bit of gray in my beard, you know. And Dave, Dave's just like full on. You should see the just like wreck of a man I'm looking at. This is a guy. Who, yeah, his uh, um, years of vitality I, are long past him. I should but, be, I should be in hospice. But but I think that gives us more authority to speak on the subject because as an 80 year old. Uh, Dave, I believe, is 85. Um, neither of us believes that uh, people in their 80s should be running the country. I, I would actually, I, a guy, I want to go farther than that. Like, I, I think that guy in their 50s, I, I do, I, I, I do think there's something, it, unless you're, I, I think maybe art is a, a, a thing, but I do think that if you're still wanting to work, uh, and you're not an artist of some kind at yes. that age, I think there's something really wrong with you. I think that, that, like that's not what life is you know we already work too much in this country and then you get to a certain age and you should be like i just want to go look at horses and maybe sit on a beach or well, i'm just going to sit well, next let's, to a tree uh, for a while. let's follow this around obviously we're talking this week is who else could we talking about when we're talking about people who are too old in government because there's only one um uh dan feinstein 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 i always get it wrong feinstein feinstein, feinstein. My son, uh, returned to work today. Um, she had the classic, um, uh, left side, sort of left side paralysis of everybody who's had shingles. Um, uh, that, uh, the, you know, we all know about that. Um, <laughs> she looked great. She looked great though. And look, I'm, I'm not going to be honest. It's like, it's, 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 but Jesus Christ, she's on 112 and she clearly just came back from having a stroke. And even before yeah, that, she had a stroke. Um, I mean, I think my favorite, I mean, on top of just like repeating herself a lot, uh, in the last year or so thing where five minutes after uh, her office had announced that she wasn't running again. Um, and she was asked, uh, about what informed her decision not to run again. And she said, I haven't made up my mind yet. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's, uh, she's gone. She's gone. And I think we all think well, the same thing. You heard the, the Senator Warnock thing, right? Which, which, which one? <laughs> Um, she went up to, uh, the Senator from Wisconsin, uh, Rick Scott, mm -hmm. and she congratulated him, uh, Tim, uh, for, uh, oh no, Tim Scott. Sorry. She went up to the, the black Senator. I was, it, okay, go ahead. And she congratulated him for his victory in Georgia. I'm going to say something. Considering the circumstances, it, it would have been off. funnier if she had come up to the white guy. I know, right? Yeah, it would have been funnier. <laughs> I got confused there for a second. Uh, yeah. He she went Chuck to Schumer and... Um, he confused her black guys. Uh, yeah. Welcome back. Spent 15 minutes oh. talking to Chuck Schumer before he realized oh. that he she thought he was AOC. Uh, <laughs> Look, I, uh, I'm, I'm, look, we she's all old. She shouldn't be there. Beyond she shouldn't. But, I it's mean, not that look. she's old. It's not that she's old. It's just that she has clearly have medical conditions that are part and parcel of being old, that you're far more likely to be suffering from when you are that old. Uh, but there are. Yeah. That being said, yeah, you should not be that old and in office because yeah. Think about how old people understand technology and our entire fucking governing. Everything we're dealing with is technology and you shouldn't have to explain email to someone who has to deal with how to handle AI. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it's just basic shit. People are like, it's ageism. Okay. 
Nobody on the fucking Supreme Court gets it. They're all too fucking old. Everybody's too old in these jobs. They don't know what they're doing. And this stuff is really, really important. And they don't know. They don't understand it. They don't know what's happening. Sure, they have staff. They shouldn't need staff. It should be younger people doing this. It's it's well, and it's clearly her staff in this case. I mean, that is everybody's theory. It's the one that makes the most sense that has just been keeping up the facade so that they can keep their jobs. And um uh it's it's kind of terrifying. Um, but but speak, you bring up a really good issue. And look who's the uh um David Sirota just this past week uh had a leading artificial intelligence expert named Max Tegmark on uh the Lever Time podcast. It's an amazing interview and you should listen to it. Um it's chilling. There's also hope, but he the, the one thing he talks about and where where there is hope is in um us getting around quickly to starting to anticipate the issues with ai and regulating to head them off and dave has just brought up the most terrifying fucking point in regard to that because even if you can get past the usual uh, unwillingness to do anything quickly the notion of having people like diane feinstein in charge of coming up with regulations to deal with ai is jaw-dropping that's psychotic she we had early on understand how her cell phone works early on in podcasting uh there was a patent troll that basically was saying that he owned podcasting and he had done like a little he literally done like a little drawing radio to internet like it was just like that uh, and so we, a bunch of podcasts, Marin and a bunch of people, we, we, uh, asked people to donate and we put together a fund, we raised money. And then, uh, we had, uh, hired a couple of lawyers and one of them went up to, uh, Congress and, and I would talk to her and one day she goes, Dave, I'm spend most of my time just explaining what the internet is and how email right. works. Right. And that was that was like five fucking years ago. Like these people don't know what they're doing because they're too old. Yeah, it's it's and and you, you bring that up and people go, that's ageism. Okay, whatever you want to call it, they're ill-equipped for the job. Our technology is now advancing at a more and more rapid pace all the time, and especially with AI. AI now we're in a place where technology is going to advance so rapidly, we kind of will have a hard time wrapping our head around the speed with which it's advancing. This is a, this is a whole new world now. And they don't know the basic shit. My mom asked me once, how do you get into the internet to do your podcast? That's who these people are. They're fucking old. My, my father, um, who, by the way, vigorously agrees that all of these people are too old uh, and who is around their age. Uh, when I did Bronzeville, the audio drama that I wrote a couple of years ago, I had to bump them all into CDs so he could listen to them. Yeah. He's got a computer. He's got an iPad. He's got, he's got Apple TV. Yeah. To this day. How but do it's I, still- this show sounds interesting. How do I hear it? It's it's not a it's not it's not a fucking knock on these people. They were just not, raised differently. They we did will everything be as differently. Lost as they are in a hundred percent. Yeah, they're going to be like, hey, my 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 son will have a date over, and I go, she was cool. He goes, that really wasn't her. That was her hologram. We'll be like, uh, what? I don't know what's going on. 
Like yeah. it's going to, that's going to be the world. Like I'm not going to understand shit. It's going to be crazy. Also, I'm not in the fucking Senate. Yeah. Yeah. And I brought this up during the election. I cannot tell you how many liberals and uh, women mostly came at me and said, it's too important to have someone who's been in there that long on those committees. And here now you have someone who's been in there that long on those committees. And I ask you, how's it going? Yeah. 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 Because how many, how many, she was gone for what, 45 days or something. And just the, um, and they the were, ju- we could, they couldn't get any judges through. Couldn't get judges through. People are like, well, yeah, they're getting judges through now. It's 45 days off. And keep in mind that the last administration, uh, uh Donald Trump, I believe, um, made, uh, his administration made a deal with the Democrats to essentially rubber stamp all of his judicial nominees. So they were just whipping them through at, at top speed on a daily basis. Do you do you remember? You know they're when, not making it easy on the Democrats here, and now you've got her going for four. It's it's insane. It's absolutely. Do you insane. remember when Schumer made a deal that they could go on Christmas break, and the deal was he would pass a bunch of their yeah, judges? No, it's like what yeah. are you what are you doing? So you can go on Christmas break. What are you doing? We don't want to get bogged down in in battling back and forth. You're like yeah, you're, <laughs> supposed, to, you're supposed to slow these down. These people are fucking insane that they're they're stacking the courts with. Yeah. Um, but I think, I mean, I think now it's at a point, I don't know anyone. And it's like the, the, the pushback, the support for Feinstein just seems virtually non-existent. I mean, you'll find some, well, she, on it, but it, I mean, it's bad when she, when she came back and people saw the pictures, they went, Oh my God. Like she looks terrible. She, she, yeah. she looks really, really old. She's you're like, Oh, that's end stage old person age. Yeah, but here's but then you've got Dick Durbin, who's like she can come back when she's ready to come back. I mean, the problem is is they don't, they just don't care. There's no fight in them. They're all buddies, so they're not going to tell Diane to get her ass back here. Like they're not, and people like I'm sure Chuck Schumer's doing it behind the scenes. How the fuck do you know? He's never given you any any example that you why would you think that yeah i mean and that's i i always wonder about that are they you want to believe the behind the scenes i'm fine with them working day and night to to get someone like her to step down if they're doing it behind the scenes and saying nice things about her but but they're clearly not or they're not effective and no what what does she have same thing like you know obama did talk to rbg back in what was it 2009 when she was diagnosed with a particularly deadly form of cancer and couldn't get her to step down. And it's like, you're president of the United States. And, you know, we did. It's just, it's crazy. I mean, it's crazy. And, you know, and people, it, this has an impact on human lives. Human lives. But they're thinking of the politics. What they're thinking of is, I, I believe Gavin Newsom said he would, if there was an opening ever when he was in office, that he would appoint a black woman. And then now you have an election going on and there is a black woman running and a white woman and a white dude. And now it's complicated right now. He would have to pick a, the black woman, but can he pick that black woman? Cause she's actually pretty left. He doesn't want that. Right. So it's, you know, the, the, uh, that's a lot of the thinking here. Like, do they want a, do they want a lefty ish, uh, a Senator real, real scary to them, real big yeah. problem. But it is all of this. All of this is part and parcel. You know, Sirota calls the Democrats the Washington generals. It's a, it's a, 
it is a good metaphor. Um, although the Washington generals were supposed to lose and that was baked in. And I do from time to time wonder if these people truly understand that, or if they're just so bad at what they do. Um, I, I, I some combination of both, but here I we think are it's a combination day for the third time now in close to a decade. You know, a lot of things get lost in the shuffle and you live in situations for so long and you drink the water so long, you forget that it tastes like urine and all the rest, but step the fuck back. Donald Trump is not a hard candidate to beat in right. a race for an elected office. Yeah. He's, he's certainly not now, now that he's been impeached twice and indicted for, for financial crimes and uh, had this major judgment against him he's now a, a sexual uh, abuser um for the third time the democrats are running somebody who could conceivably lose to him yeah and i think it's all part who, of the who, same thing it's all part of the same yes thing. it is 100 percent. It, it's all part of the same thing absolutely it, it's it's just there's no sense of urgency there's no sense of 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 what the future it, to them it just seems like it's another election well then he'll get yeah. in here and we'll raise money and then we'll come back and i'm looking at it going well if trump gets in there that like people have said this but it could be the end of democracy you could now have you know so he gets in there he he already was in there once he wanted to take over so now he is smart and now he replaces the military guys so now all the military guys are in favor of him and then he does his shit like that's how these guys do it and, but they but you know that's what that's what Biden ran on. Ben, Biden ran on, I'll save you from this guy. And then he did nothing at all to 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 thwart Trump. And they're going to and we looked at the polls when Hillary ran and she was not doing well against him at the very outset. And now you're going to do it again. And With it's all third. the same thing. It's you're right. It's all the same thing. Like, I, yeah. I don't mind Trump running, right? but Trump running for president, that should be an off year. We should be able to go, okay, I don't have to be invested at all in how this one goes. Yeah, this one and is a clobbering. It should be a clobbering. It, it, it should be a farce. And right now he's he's killing Biden in the polls. And keep in mind, yeah, I mean, an idiot. And of course, you you know, the only thing worse than Trump is some other Republican who'd be more effective. But Donald Trump in one term appointed more Supreme Court justices than yeah. Obama did in two. Well, yeah, but that was, you know. Obama didn't exactly. They didn't exactly fight when uh, when right. the, when they held when yeah. they stole a stole a Supreme Court justice. Yeah, but then yeah. and then there's the other thing, which is what's going on with the court. Like the the Thomas stuff is now just absurd. Uh, how yeah, just, it's just corruption on another level. And Dick Durbin's like, I mean, Roberts has got to handle that. No, it's your fucking job. You, yeah. you, you run. That's your committee. And again, it's all the same thing. This is all the same thing we're talking about. They're not doing anything. Yeah, but Biden right now looks like the guy who turned over government to Hitler. <laughs> yeah. He looks like fucking von Hindenburg. He that's what he, that's what he looks like. That's that's what I'm looking at. I'm just watching him going. The, everyone can see what's coming. It's very obvious what's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. And then the other thing is, like, I've, I've said this before, but if you're not going to do anything about COVID, if you're not going to encourage mask wearing, if you're not going to encourage testing, if you're, if you're not going to clean the air, 
then the older your can they the older your candidates are, the older your officials are, the more chance they have of dying or being harmed. Now we don't know what happened to Feinstein. It could be anything, but if you have COVID, your chance of a stroke goes up significantly. Right. It's like two or three times. Shingles. So now you have old people who shingles. are yeah, shingles. So now you have old people who are more vulnerable than they were before. Yeah. And that's who you're going to have running for office. It's yeah. it's really madness. It's really it's wild to watch. Like it's just a like del- the delusion level is off the fucking chart. Yeah, and and it's not. This is not some wild ass leftist position. This is not me and Dave saying you know capitalism needs to be destroyed. This is it does. This is you can turn that switch off here. I just like we're we're just like this is insane. This is completely insane. I think the frustrating thing is everybody, everybody knows it's completely insane. Yeah. And the people, the people who are working day and night, not to, not to say that publicly, uh, are doing damage to themselves. You know, they're breaking their own brains. Um, but everybody knows, and there's this, it's, it's, you know, it all taps in It all, it all part of a one giant holistic package. You know, the, uh, we're, we're starting to acknowledge that loneliness is a, is a, you know, a viral contagion in this, in this country right now and it's like yeah it's all part of that it's all part of people yeah. just giving up hope but not being able to acknowledge it and ay, 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 it's jesus christ yeah those pictures were just horrifying and i mean i i was expect i i had the lowest expectations and the pictures shocked me yeah 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 um she'll put something out of a horror movie but uh i i uh, mean we've never we've never been in this place in our life where the democrats are running the a person that 78% of the population of America do not want to run again. No. That's never happened. Well, and you're going to do Democrats that. Democrats don't want him to run again. Yeah, yeah. And you're going to do that against Trump. Just so I'm yeah. understanding you you guys all get the situation. 78% don't want him to run and that's the guy you're going to run against crazy rapey fascist guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, here's the good news is the general public seems to despise Trump pretty, pretty seriously. But, but of those two candidates, only one of them has any enthusiasm behind them. Right. That's never good. It is never good to run a candidate with no enthusiasm against a candidate with enthusiasm, even if it's from, from a minority. Um, and you're already you're already in the position of, you know, as we get closer to the election, the oil companies are going to raise the prices of oil. We have a recession coming because uh, the Fed has decided we need to have a bunch of unemployed people. So, and then, you know, there's 20% chance we have an Omicron-like variant. That's what the scientists are saying. There's a 20% chance. 20%, yeah. So, that the, so, the, so you know, put those, put those things out there, and it's just like, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah. You're always running against oil companies now. The oil companies are always going to raise prices. They've been doing it for like two or three elections, presidential elections. They're that's what they do. They raise the prices in the summer to fuck the Democratic candidate. That's it's just a, the track record now. So how are you going to counteract that? You shouldn't have the guy in office running. Number one. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've never seen anything like this. I mean, every Democrat I know, except for two in my family. Every Democrat I know is uh, in my family is just like, and they're all libs, and they're just like, "What the fuck is going yeah. on?" Yeah, yeah. Um, liberals, we stand with you here at the audit. 
Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Our, our guest this week is Professor Richard Wolf, who is the Professor Emeritus at the University of Amherst and the visiting professor in the Graduate Program in International Affairs of the New School. He's the co-founder of the journal Rethinking Marxism, the author of Understanding Marxism. Um, you've, you've seen him on a, a bunch of shows. He's been on uh, our old show, The West Wing Thing. Um, absolutely wonderful. We are, we are knocked out to get him. He is one of the great, great uh, academic political minds, I think, uh, of our time. And so because we have such great respect for him, we forced him to watch some Prager U videos. Because <laughs> we're assholes. Yeah, we're terrible. Who would yeah. do that to someone that they respect? I, I, yeah. Yeah, it's bad. If you finally had enough of hippie college left-wing fluff, get yourself a real degree from Prager University. Hey there, it's David Sirota, host of Lever Time, the flagship podcast from the award-winning investigative news outlet, The Lever. In politics, there's a complex web of money, influence, and greed that corrupts our democracy. Lever Time is an unflinching examination of the latest news, events, and issues that often go unrecognized and unreported by corporate media. We interview a variety of guests and experts across media and politics, and we hold the powerful accountable. Some recent interviews include Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, comedian David Cross, progressive leader Nina Turner, and artificial intelligence expert Dr. Max Tegmark. So if you're looking for a true independent voice in political media, check out Levertime. Go to levertimepod.com or search Levertime on your podcast player to subscribe. Hey there, it's David Sirota, host of Levertime, the flagship podcast from the award-winning investigative news outlet, The Lever. In politics, there's a complex web of money, influence, and greed that corrupts our democracy. Lever Time is an unflinching examination of the latest news, events, and issues that often go unrecognized and unreported by corporate media. We interview a variety of guests and experts across media and politics, and we hold the powerful accountable. Some recent interviews include Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, comedian David Cross, progressive leader Nina Turner, and artificial intelligence expert Dr. Max Tegmark. So if you're looking for a true independent voice in political media, check out Levertime. Go to levertimepod.com or search Levertime on your podcast player to subscribe. Hey, real quick before we dive into this, uh, just a reminder, this is the free episode um, if you'd like to hear the complete conversation with uh, Professor Wolf, including his dissection of a PragerU video entitled, Who is Karl Marx? Uh, you can go right now to levernews.com slash audit, and you can subscribe, become a subscriber. You not only get our full-length content a day earlier, but you also get uh, the Lever Premium podcast feed, which has all sorts of goodness on it, and you're supporting incredible investigative journalism. And with that, let us dive in to Professor Richard Wolf discussing the immortal question, is communism moral? Motives are much less important than behavior. We all know this. If someone has good intentions but treats people badly, those good intentions mean nothing. As it is with individuals, so it is with governments. 
Capitalism might sound less noble than communism. The individual pursues success to the best of his abilities. That's capitalism. Versus everyone shares everything equally. That's communism. Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> Wait, can we just go one more second? Because I think he says something okay. amazing right after this. But it is capitalism that has produced freedom. And it alone has lifted millions from poverty, while communism has kept millions impoverished and without exception crushed freedom. Capitalism, for all its imperfections, enables a decent society. Communism, whatever its stated intentions, leads to evil. Evil. <laughs> okay, but, you know, so even before we get to the the, yeah. the, the cuckoo shit about evil, yeah, let's, yeah. let's go back. The, the term capitalism, it, I'm a professor of economics, so that's the field in which I work. But what I'm about to say applies in other fields as well. If you're going to use a term like capitalism, it means you distinguish it from other things that aren't capitalism. Otherwise, it's like saying, um, what, what do you have as, as a pet? And you answer, an animal. Now, this is not going to help anybody because you haven't distinguished the thing enough to make it cognizable because if you're asking about a pet you already knew it was an animal because most people don't have pet plants or rocks right so you've got to be able to say dog or cat and what that means is and i don't mean this to be abstruse this is really simple you have to be able to say it's a dog on the basis of a shared understanding between you and whoever you're talking to, what differentiates a dog from a cat, from a parrot, from a lizard, or any other thing you might have as a pet, right? So if you're gonna talk about capitalism, you're gonna have to, sooner or later, if we don't all agree, you're gonna have to provide a definition. You can, do, you can work with any definition you want. That's your freedom. But what you can't do is talk as though capitalism was equally understood by everybody else in the world the way you do. And this is particularly stupid if your definition is one that no economist I know, <laughs> left wing, right wing, or in the middle, would have ever heard of or would speak because that's so dumb that it would embarrass you even in a cocktail party after three martinis to talk such junk out of your mouth you really you'd really be hurting your own reputation what do i mean having an individual pursue the best he can or whatever the language that he uses. the individual pursues success to the best of his abilities under the right. glorious capitalism yes Every economist I know assumes that human beings do that as part of what it means to be a human being. Right. <laughs> they do it in slavery. They do it in feudalism. They do it in ancient village economies. They do it in capitalism. And guess what? They do it in socialism, too, because this is part of how human beings develop and how they train their children and all of the rest of it. So the notion that you're going to link People pursuing the best life that they can to capitalism would be the equivalent of saying capitalism is a system where people breathe deeply and feel better. What? 
<laughs> yeah, no doubt they do. But this doesn't distinguish capitalism from anything. It's noise. You're making noise out of your mouth. And you know, you, you're getting as much meaning out as if you were farting. You know what I mean? Stop. It's so crazy. In then capitalism, the people one. wear shoes on their feet when they go outside. Yeah. Isn't it marvelous? I'm going to get to that. Now we, <laughs> now we come to communism where everybody shares everything equally. Love it. I love it. I have, known, I have known innumerable Marxists, socialists, and communists in my life, both American and in other countries. I've never heard any of them ever say anything like that. <laughs> Nowhere does Karl Marx or Lenin or Stalin or Mao or anybody else say such a thing. The moron there speaking on the screen, he says it. He attributes his definition as if it were the universally known one. Unbelievable behavior. It's as if I said, American democracy is all about killing Native Americans. What? Right. That doesn't distinguish Americans. A lot of people killed Native people when they got there, if they were Europeans. Well, but then that, once he sets the premise, and then he goes, and now I'll tell you why that's bad. Right. Now we come to the, 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 perhaps the oldest argument, and that one is, so far, everything I've seen is really old Cold War legacy crap. But there has been a recent revival of one point he makes, so that there it isn't only... 50 years old, it's also circulating right now and has been in the last few years, including by some very smart people that I know. I don't agree with them, but I know them, I know the work that they do. Here's the argument. Yeah, capitalism has lots of warts and wrinkles and bad things, but it is responsible for the fact that the standard of living in the world today is markedly better than it was a century ago or two centuries ago. And therefore, we should give credit to capitalism for having overcome the impoverishment, for lack of a better term, that was the norm two or three hundred years ago. Okay? Now, there are a number of arguments that don't work here. But it take me a minute, if you allow me. First, yeah, please, yeah. First, slavery could say that. Feudalism could say <laughs> that. Every system that has lasted for several hundred years has improved the standard of living. People who defended slavery, let's remember, said that. To this day, there are white Southerners who talk like this. What's wrong with slavery? We took those black people in their horrible blah, 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 blah in Africa, and we brought them over here, and we gave them a much better life as a slave than they had before. We were gifting them something. Slavery was not a, a pain and a difficulty. It was a plus. And you know, like with all horse shit, there's a grain of truth. In that That's horse shit is the oats that, is, that horse ate that is, an hour ago. That is something uh, our our first president said. George Washington believed that uh, having yes. his slaves was better than them being free. Absolutely. It, he treated uh, them better. That's our, pres yeah. our first president. 
I, I've given talks in the American South to an audience, been very nicely received. Then there's a Q&A at the end of my presentation, and people have asked me this question about slavery. They find this a perfectly reasonable uh, uh, way of thinking. So, but my first reaction is, what you're claiming for capitalism has been true of every other. You don't need capitalism to have economic development, we call it. To have the, you don't need it, number one. Number two, according to the United Nations, now I can imagine a right-winger won't give that any credence, but according to the United Nations, the World Health Organization, the Food and Agricultural Organization, these are all subparts of the UN, the most amazing achievement in raising people out of poverty, record numbers in a record short time, the record for that is held by the People's Republic of China over the last 20 years. <laughs> That's the truth of it. About 800 million, out of, you know, which is more than half their people, were at a level everybody measures as poverty 30 years ago, and they're not anymore. And the Chinese trumpet this, of course, that's good for their PR and all the rest. I understand that. But if you're going to really say, I'm going to evaluate systems according to how many people in what kind of record time can we lift out of poverty, capitalists have no lock on who did that best. Never right. did. Now the third and most important, most important comes now. Every effort, every effort to improve the, the mass standard of living of the working class in every capitalist society has been blocked, obstructed, and fought against by the capitalists in that society. I'm going to give you just one example. Here in the United States, people decided that some workers were getting paid so low, especially during the Great Depression of the 1930s, that we had to pass a law called the minimum wage, a law which said no employer can pay any worker less than some rock bottom floor. Okay? This was in the depths of the depression when people were really suffering that we passed that law. Workers had tried to get that law for half a century before that and were always blocked by capitalists. If the capitalists want credit now for what they tried to block for 50 years, thereby delaying for the mass of those people the kind of decent life they could have had if the capitalists didn't do it, well then let's keep the register clear here. You don't just get credit when the workers finally overcome your opposition, you asshole. You have to take the blame for blocking it for 50 years. Now, let me give you an up-to-date example. Periodically, the minimum wage in this country has to be raised because prices are going up, right? So the last time, that's the U.S. Congress does this. The last time the minimum wage was raised in the United States was in the year 2009. Okay, folks, the prices, you know it, everybody watching knows it. The prices of, of food, you know, bread, butter, milk, Coca-Cola, uh, uh, ice cream, any eggs, anything in the supermarket, 
I can tell you, because I keep track of this, since 2009 has gone up by between 20 and 30 percent. Has the minimum wage been raised since 2009? No. In other words, and why not? Because the Chamber of Commerce and every major business organization led by the fast food industry, the retail industry. Why? Because they pay the bottom of the, of, you know, it's, it's Starbucks, it's McDonald's, right. it's all that shit. They led the way and the business community and even a Democratic president in charge of a Democrat majority in both houses of Congress in his first two years could not bring himself, asshole that he is, to do anything about this. In other words, the capitalists fight every step of the way against raising the standard of living of the mass of people. When they finally lose the fight, when they finally can't stop it anymore, they want us to give them credit for what they fought against. It's mind-bending. That asshole in Prager, we lifted. You didn't lift anything. You, didn't, you, you don't know what lifting is about. You're making this shit up because you can't face the fact that you are the biggest obstacle to a rising standard of living that the working class, the vast majority, has. And so you turn around, having lost the eventual battle to prevent this, and act as though you deserve the credit. Man, you have to take your hat off to the sheer balls you have to have, don't quote me, to, to talk like that. I mean, it's... I'm assuming you're going to edit this. <laughs> oh, hell no. The, uh, <laughs> no. But, but here's the thing that always gets me. Is Prager, one of the, the, the impacts on me when I watch these, he casts these things in such stark moral terms that you find yourself, I mean, we did an episode last week where I'm just like, I, I said this, this man actually is evil. When you start doing what he's doing and you start trying to cast it in, in terms of good and evil and you're taking the positions he is, you, you you find yourself going, yeah, okay, let's talk about that. Let's talk about good and evil. Let's talk about how genuinely evil what you're doing right now is, Dennis Prager. And it's it's such a, well, in my, it's a terrible I mean, I, way to engage. In my experience, and I would say this if I were in a debate, but I would say it with an edge, you know, I mean, I know how to do this, and I would, <laughs> you know, they would have a hard time. Uh, I'm not being anywhere near as harsh as I can be. Uh, it's usually a sign that you don't really have much of an argument. You don't know quite how to support what you're saying. And so you retreat almost like a child to childlike terms. It's not good. It's bad. It's evil. It's, just, it's really bad. And you, and, you know, if you talk to a psychologist... What's going on there is all of us, I assume you, like me, were brought up as little kids with parents who told you this is good and that is bad. You did, what you just did here is bad. and Bad and good touches everybody. It's a way of touching at almost a subliminal level. You're taking people back to a time when they learned to distinguish the good and the evil and begin, you know, to absorb the value system their parents were instilling in them 
And it's because you can't make a, a, a logical or reasoned argument that you're reduced to sort of playing on, on people's... Um, it's like advertising, you know. It, it's mm, showing yes, you, exactly. a, yes. Yeah, you know, it's showing you a bar of soap on the on the screen, and there's a, a three quarters naked young lady lathering herself up with the soap, and the advertiser understands he knows you need a nice young lady to be naked in your vicinity, and this is very attractive, and you would like to have that. And he's suggesting that by buying that soap, you get a little closer to that eventuality. You know, and maybe if I talk good and evil, I will get you to agree with me because the arguments I have, either I don't have them or they don't seem to work real well. So I've got to kind of go and do this other move. It's like the soap is really crappy and doesn't smell good. So they got to tell you it's going to improve your sex life because otherwise you're not going to buy it. Right. Let's let's keep going here. Increasingly, people either ignore or deny the evil of this ideology, which within a period of only 60 years created modern totalitarianism and deprived more people of human rights and tortured and killed more people than any ideology. <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah. Really? I didn't know that you'd have a problem with any of this, sir. Uh, no, it's just, again, it, it's just, you know what, what, what catches me? Two things. In the middle of the screen that I am looking at is a headstone like you would find in a cemetery mm -hmm. with, a, with a, you know, a Christian cross on the headstone. And then the upper right-hand corner, modern totalitarianism. And you think to yourself, this man is... He's not aware of, I don't know, Genghis Khan, or he's not aware. I mean, what? Well, that was classical totalitarian. Totalitarian, the emperors in Rome, uh, the chiefs in innumerable tribes, the colonial masters in, in every little corner of the colonial. But he's, he's differentiating. He's saying this is modern totalitarianism, that, mm. uh, that communist but, yeah, but he said it created modern. Mm -hmm. I mean, what? I mean, what's the difference, I guess, is my question. Yeah, what is the difference was, between modern... Well, communism. Also, he showed you. <laughs> and also, I mean, again, if we we're going to go back and tortured people, does he... I don't know if he's Catholic or not, but if you're brought up in the Catholic... He's, he's Church, Jewish. He's Jewish. Yeah. yeah. More shame on him. Uh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, if you were Catholic and brought up in a Catholic tradition, you learned about uh, the Inquisition. You learned that there were the Hundred Years' War, the Thirty Years' War, that for 500 years of European history, Catholics and Protestants slaughtered each other in innumerable numbers. All right, so therefore, am I going to make a statement the Catholic Church committed mass murder upon Protestants and vice versa? Well, if I, if I reasoned the way this guy did, I'd be free to do that. But it's stupid. What what are you doing? Modern totalitarians, whatever that is, can take lessons from all of human history to figure out what they're doing, and some of them do it that way. I don't see anything particularly different in the forms of totalitarianism you see now from those that you saw 
200 years ago, 500 years. I mean, they have different tools. We were a different level of, of society. But the notion that power is concentrated, which I assume is what he means by totalitarianism, mm -hmm. and that there were leaders who, who had as total a power as one could hope to have in the circumstances of their time, you can find this over and over again. And for, I'm for, also fascinated by uses of things like when he talks about torture, I think we're culturally... You know, when I think torture right now, the freshest thing in my mind, of course, is not torture that's been done by communists. And in fact, uh, it was a Ron DeSantis who could conceivably be the next Republican nominee. We recently found out oversaw torture, such as that Abu Ghraib. I'm pretty sure that was not in the name of communism. No, I mean, the biggest example around the world these days of torture is Guantanamo, Abu Ghraib, all, yeah. all of that, all of that. The United States is the perpetrator of this. Even the lame efforts to, 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 to talk about war crimes in the Ukraine, that doesn't excuse us. Whether that those claims are true or not, I don't know. But let's assume for the moment they're true, that the Russians did it, that the Ukrainians, one or the other, or both. That doesn't excuse that clearly torture has been used by an awful lot of different people in an awful lot of struggles. Yeah. Uh, you know, my lie in Vietnam, I mean, all the drones we use to, to bomb weddings in Afghanistan, come on, what is this? It's almost as though, and maybe this is something you might want to explore. I've been through a lot. You know, I'm older than you guys, I've been around a longer time. And I got to tell you this, the level of propaganda spewing out of Washington around this war, this little war in, in Ukraine, beats anything I remember. I, never, I don't think we had this in the Vietnam War. We were gung-ho, the Vietnamese were bad, the communists, yeah, we had all that. But not the level of craziness. And I wonder whether there isn't something going on that requires otherwise sane people to talk like this. Yep, 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 yep. Um, well, let's get back to uh, our good buddy, Dennis Prager. How can we explain this? There are two ways. One is ignorance. People just don't know the truth about communism. The second is willful blindness. People know the truth, but choose to ignore it because the truth about communism's horrors is too painful to confront. Okay, okay, this is very simple. It has nothing to do with communism. The cheapest, the cheapest debating ploy in the world is to refuse to recognize that there are alternative points of view to your own. And therefore, follow that up. Once you do that, you have to explain why anyone would hold a point of view different from your own since you believe your own has some kind of absolute truth to it. You have to then explain. If I've got the truth and I encounter John or Mary who disagree with me, it's either ignorance or perversity. This argument is as old as the human race. It means you cannot allow in your world other perspective. He can't say communists see the world in a different way, or Marxists do, and I disagree with them for this and that. He can't do that. 
He has the right one. He is doing God's work. And you have to explain how any other person in their right mind wouldn't be lining up parroting what I say. And it's either ignorance or perversity. They well, won't. I want to stick to that for a minute because this is, and again, they are not an accredited university, but this is ostensibly an educational organization whose videos are showed in schools. And I have followed you, uh, your work. I've, I've, I've read your work. I've seen you on things we both have. And as vigorous and as powerful as you are at making your cases, uh, you generally do, always in my experience, do what you have done here, which is when you come to a differing viewpoint, examine it, acknowledge its difference, acknowledge where you think it is coming from. How, how, if you found out that a fellow professor that you worked with was teaching this way, that was teaching, I mean, this is literally my way or the highway. Um, that's what it is. That's exactly how does, how does that fit into an academic situation? How does that, there how does that no, person maintain a job? How does right. that, well, I mean, if you're asking me, are there people like that and do they maintain their jobs? I hate to tell you they do, but they do for all the reasons you understand. For example, you know, if you're sleeping with the chairman of the department, all kinds of things are possible that are not possible if you're not. If you're, uh, your father is a donor to that university, all kinds of things are possible that for other people wouldn't be. So are there people who get away with that? Yes. But if I were you, you could go to many uh, uh, a professional administrator of a school or a teacher in a school and point to one, one of these passages and say, I know you're a decent teacher and I know you take the profession seriously. And therefore, you teach people that there are points of view different from of theirs, and that doesn't make and a person are. evil, and it doesn't make a person perverse. In the history of the human race, if you encounter people who disagree with you, and you think you're right and they're wrong, it's not a big step to shut them up, to put them in jail, to exile them, to kill them. We have to learn that it's normal to have multiple different points of view. We all come from different families, different traditions, different life experiences. So of course we see the world differently. And it's interesting and a good part of life to explore how other people see the world because it'll make you think about your own way a little bit. It's how you learn yeah. and to squelch it by calling it either ignorance or perversity or so that is really dirty pool and you shouldn't be teach you shouldn't be showing the students in your high school or whoever the hell they show this stuff to high schools and universities yeah and universities this you're teaching them that the way to deal with people who disagree with you is basically to make them evil and ignorant and a whole lot of words that justify not giving them the respect that human beings owe each other. There is always, thank God, there is always a core of people in almost every school who, will, who agree with you on that. And if they thought they were showing young people something that really went against that. If you could take this section and demonstrate, yeah, watch this for 30 seconds, you'll see that what else are they going to do? That you, you go, You're going to force them into a difficult choice 
But in a way, that's what your project is designed to do. Right. We have a moral obligation to the victims of communism not to forget them, just as Americans have a moral obligation to remember the victims of slavery. So, is that – we've done a couple of videos where Prager has essentially stated that uh, were it not for the police and laws, uh, he would be incapable of controlling his own sexual urges. I would say outside of that, this yeah. might be the worst thing I've heard him say. Yeah, yeah, well. My reaction is the victims of anything and everything should stay in our minds because it may contribute to making fewer victims in the future than we have achieved in the past. That part I can buy and that part I can accept. But this invitation to single out communism as though it had some special purchase on victimization is somewhere between stupid and hateful. Because what it is, is a call to single out one particular player in the production of victims, when history is full of lots of other players that have been conveniently left out of this story. And in response, I'm going to give you some examples. Okay, if I wanted to invite hatred of Catholics, I would talk about the Inquisition. I would go into great detail in giving you examples of the elaborate tortures developed in Spain at a particular point in time to justify excruciating destruction of human beings and victimization. If I were differently focused and wanted to invite hatred of Christians as a whole, I would describe the second half of a thousand years of feudalism, namely that part that comes after the 16th century, because of the wars between Catholics and Protestants in which they slaughtered each other. We even have names for them, the Thirty Years' War, the Hundred Years' War, because that's what they were. They were long periods of time where Catholics would mobilize and mow down Protestant villages and vice versa. Um, And yeah, I mean, it was awful, no question. There were horrible victimizations, no question. And they were done in the names of the same God, that presumably the Christian one, uh, the Catholic version or the, or the Protestant version. But would I really want to be inviting hatred of Christians because of that story? Let me continue. Europe colonized Asia, Africa, and Latin America. In the process, it did unspeakable things to masses of people. Perhaps the most famous example is when the Belgians took over what came later to be called the Congo because of the name of the river there, the Congo River. All right. They systematically cut off fingers, noses, ears, and arms of people, partly to punish them for minor infractions, partly to identify them in terms of where they came from, who they were, the slaves of Wow. Slavery has been practiced by many different people. Are we going to condemn all of them and invite everybody to hate on them? 
Lots of Europeans did that. And by the way, slavery wasn't only in the South, it was in the North. New York, part of the history of New York City is the history of the slave. There's a slave market in New York City, etc., etc. The United States was involved in several wars in Asia after World War II. Korea, Vietnam, Afghanistan, and Iraq. There were massacres of all kinds in all of them. If you don't remember, think of the word like Mi Lai. Some of you may remember the My Lai or Mi Lai massacre that was uncovered and that we admitted to and punished. Should we invite hatred of Americans? Because in four different wars over half a century, they killed. That's where drone warfare was begun by the United States in those places. That's where we had innumerable cases where the drone killed a wedding party or a funeral party because it had misunderstood the intelligence that there were these people, blah, blah, blah. COVID-19, the United States allowed more than a million people to die. It did an awful job of protecting. Should we, should we talk about the victim is... What in the world is going on? And maybe the biggest of all, World Wars One and Two. World War One, there was no country that wasn't capitalist that was involved in that. World War Two, there was one country that wasn't a capitalist country, the Soviet Union, but it was the ally of the United States in that war. And those wars together killed between 50 and 100 million people, many of them under the worst conceivable right? We, we don't invite people to hate Germans because of the Holocaust, right? There are some people who do, but we generally frown on them because it's a dangerous path to go down. Very few people are immune from finding someone in their history who did awful things to other people. What would well, we, be do, we do invite we do invite hatred of Nazis, which yes, and Nazism, but that's a very specific ideology in which their acts are connected specifically and directly to their ideology, and you can make those connections easily. It seems to me that what all these people never get around to doing is drawing a line from the you know the ideology of communism, therefore must lead to this. Like where where is it in communism that says you have to do these things? It yeah. doesn't. Nowhere, and and all of the great um, theorists, the famous names, Marx, Engels, Lenin, Mao, these people, you know, Nazis at a certain point, and even they are complicated, and and hating, I have no idea what it means to call on, on hatred. This video actually calls people to hate something. An idea, and it's very short distance from hating an idea to hating a person. Nazis, mm. Nazis were complicated people too. And by the way, I say this, my first language is German. My mother was born and raised in Berlin, Germany. Most of my family was in fact killed in the Holocaust. I say all this to you, but the idea that I should hate Germans strikes me as totally bizarre. German music is among the, you know, I listen to Beethoven, Brahms, and, and, and Bach, and I marvel and Mozart at what those people accomplished. It's great music. 
I want to understand why there is an ideology called Nazism and why they would lead people to, a, to, to die in huge numbers in ovens and all the rest of it. But the idea I should hate German, I don't even hate Nazis. I mean, I don't like it. If you identify as a Nazi, I'm going to be worried about being in the same room with you. I get that. But calling on people to hate, no, no, I'm not interested in that at all. Mm. Anyway, I want to finish the thing about World War II. Unspeakable things were done by all the participants. The, if you go to Germany, they will take you to a city, a very important city in the north called Dresden. And then they will show you pictures of the bombing by the Allied forces, UK, US, and so on, the bombing of Dresden. That was a wholesale slaughter of innocent people. Oh, yeah, it was part of Nazi Germany. I get that. I under, But, you know, there's war and there's war. And I, I understand we have the right to identify people who have been victimized, to protest that victimization, whether you're a Nazi or a communist or a socialist or a capitalist, you abuse people like that. You ought to be called to account. You ought to be held accountable. I have, but calling folks to hate one, pick out one of all of these, don't do that. Either make it blanket or shut up. Because otherwise, what you're doing is you're taking away the legitimacy of calling people out because you're only calling out a particular bunch. What the hell are you doing? You're, you're, you're detracting from the seriousness of what we have done to one another as human beings by only selectively being outraged. So you haven't produced a video about how we ought to hate and then fill in the blanks of all the others. And I've only given you a small mattering people who have done really hateful, awful things. Yeah, and he, he kind of goes along for another couple of minutes in the same vein. And again, it's never, it's just about these awful things that these selected countries and administrations and what have you have done who all happen to be communists. There's never any attempt to actually link it to communist ideology. But he does finally bring right. it back to the world we live in today. And I want to skip ahead a little bit to... Uh, to that because um, it's, it's well, you'll hear it. And those who do not confront real evil often make up evils like systemic racism in 21st century America or toxic masculinity or patriarchy that are much easier to confront. So yeah. somehow if you don't hate communists, it makes you believe that uh, I, I don't know what the, that uh, there's no systemic racism is apparently his, yeah. his thesis. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, essentially, you know, they just they just they apply, they take everything bad in the world and they say that's communist, right? And that's all they're doing. That's it's all the that's most childlike. That's, that's all those people have ever done. It's a very primitive idea. You want people not to like something. You associate it with everything you think they already don't like. And even that last appeal, right? The American, a certain part of the United States is very upset by notions like systemic racism or patriarchy or those other things. And so you say, you see, you're upset about that here. Now, now join what I'm asking you to do because we're all together in being upset about X and Y. So that's why you ask people, you know, I have it all my life because I, 
I have my students in my class and I, I, I draw them out. What do you think Marxism means? What do you think socialism means? What do you think anarchism means? And, and what I've learned over the years is, is something, I don't know, maybe even relevant to you here. I've learned that for most of my students, um, where I've taught, which is Connecticut, Massachusetts, New York, and then occasional lectures all over the country, but there I've been a teacher, you know, for long periods of time in those three states. Here's what I discovered, that for most of my students, the following words, communism, socialism, Marxism, anarchism are synonyms. They use the folks use them interchangeably yeah. if they use them at all. But for them, this is all one murky mass of bad things. When I first yeah. encountered this years ago, uh, because my background is more European, you know, my father was French, so I grew up speaking German and French. I mean, I was born in Ohio. I've lived here all my life, but I had language facility because my parents were immigrants. Um, so at first, I had a bad idea. I thought, ooh, Americans are really uneducated. That was wrong. What I was picking up was how these words had been introduced to these students over their lives. They had been introduced by their parents or their teachers or their ministers or whoever in their lives as synonyms. These are all the bad thing, the, the foreign thing. The, and so there was no need to be clear about the boundaries between them. So, but if you're European, I'll give you an example, French or German, you grow up understanding that a communist is this, a socialist is this, uh, a, uh, an anarchist is that, because they're in your neighborhood or they're in your family or they're in your school or so. And, and, and they're people you know and they kind of look like you. And, you know, you can't hate communists if your aunt is one. If every time you have your – no, you're every time – no, I mean, seriously. Yeah, no. Well, in, my, yeah. in my French family, uh, there would be uh, in France Sunday afternoon, if the weather's okay – you bring your family together at somebody's house and everybody either brings something or cooks something. You know, the French are crazy about food and wine. They bring a bottle of wine or blah, blah, blah. But often Uncle Harry will get into a fight with cousin Louise. Why? One of them is a right winger. One of them is a left winger. But they both brought food which they give each other. And after yeah. a few drinks, they're all giggling and laughing and all the rest of it. But you can't make people hate each other if they're in that kind of a situation. Americans, right. My, because of the Cold uh, War, Americans were able to be told these horror stories about people they never encountered or saw. The left-wingers, and there were many in America, got so scared they kept it secret. You wouldn't even know. You would discover yeah. that after Harry died, you would discover papers of Harry that he was a socialist or he was a communist. And you would scratch your head and say, my God, he never let on. Yeah, he never let on because he, you know, he didn't want to have a fight with everybody all the time. But in fact, yeah, my yeah, go ahead. 
my wife recently, uh, <laughs> my, my son, who I think was 12 at the time, he came and asked her and said, what's a communist? Yeah. And her answer was, well, there's one in the other room. Why don't you go ask him? <laughs> <laughs> and so then we had a big, long talk about communism. But how many people in America have that experience? Exactly. Nobody does. I did. Absolutely nobody. I had, to find, I had like your son. It came, I came home from school with some friggin' horror story. It was about the time that we would have to periodically crawl under our wooden desks because that was going to protect us from the mm -hmm. fireball of the atomic bomb in case it came. So you can, you know, right. I'm, a, I'm nine years old. I come home yeah. freaked out, you know, because in my family, bombs meant something. People had lived through that. So I said, what, what, what is this communism? And my father, very smart, said to me, what did they tell you? And I repeated it. Yeah. And then he took me in the other room and said, okay, <laughs> here's the way it is. And, and, but he told me, and I remember the look on his face, you've got to keep this to yourself. Don't repeat what I'm telling you to your teacher. They yeah. won't understand. <clears throat> and it'll just yeah. be difficult. And, you know, I didn't get that much attention from my father. I got so much attention from him on this. I tried 12 different ways to have this conversation again as often as possible because I was basking in his concern, in his the, the emphasis he gave that he and I were together figuring out how to manage this situation. I loved it. And it had an enormous yeah. effect on me. Enormous effect. There was a, uh, my, my good friend Harlan Ellison moved to New York in 1955 and was so, you know, at a time when just you were being told on a daily basis of the evils and the, the threat that communism posed and being curious, he went to the, I think the American Communist Party headquarters in New York. And he said it was four old Jewish guys at a mimeograph machine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But let's let Dennis wrap this one up. It's kind of going back to something you talked about earlier, but it's just, it's so astonishing. This is what they do. This is how they do things here. The book of Psalms states, those of you who love God must hate evil. If you don't believe in God, here's another way of putting it. Those of you who love people must hate evil. If you don't hate communism, you don't care about, much less love, people. <laughs> I can never get I can never get past the fact just, that this is this is just a huge Christian country, and yet all of these people who have these deep rooted beliefs in Jesus have the essentially opposite political view, which is capitalism is is the opposite of everything Jesus preached, essentially. And I can never, I can never make that work in my brain, how they can believe that. And then at the same time say, you know, I follow the path of Jesus. And it's like, well, then why do you want everything for yourself? But also, but calling, calling on you to hate evil or mm. calling on you to hate communism, those are abstractions. Those are ideas. What does it mean about, you know, the word hate is, is a bizarre word to keep invoking, especially for a Christian. When I look at these videos, I think that they're essentially, they want, they obviously want an other. They always want an other, right? 
But it seems to me like they're keeping this. They want leftists always over there in case they do get in one of their bloodthirsty runs, want to start violence. Mm -hmm. That's how this always seems to me when I watch it. It's like they want this group there to hate, to attack if need be. Yeah, I mean, look at it. The reference to patriarchy. They, they, they want anybody who's critical of gender relations to be a hateful other. Right. You know, yeah, systemic race. Yeah. What a crazy idea, systemic race. They don't want there to be, they don't want to be troubled in their own ways of thinking. And so they, they, they other, you know, it's what the Nazis did. Germany was in trouble and the evil was the Jew. And you get, and so you end up, if you follow this logic, you end up killing the evil. In a way, that's the end point. You denounce it, you reject it, and then you kill it. I mean, it, it's the end of the story. It's how you ultimately remove evil. Look, in yeah. psychology, there's a there's a whole strain of literature and analysis that explains suicide that way, that, that you, you come to believe that there's evil inside you. And you have to get rid of it, and in the end, then you kill yourself in a in a peculiar way of getting rid of the evil. This whole notion that the world is divided, divisible into the good and the bad. German philosophy, which is what I know best, Hegel, Marx, they always insisted that those things are deeply intertwined, that you don't hate or love things. You hate and love things. There are moments when you hate your wife. That doesn't mean you don't love her. It means you're a human being, and in the complexities of life, you have lots mm. of different moments. If you come down on yourself because you have a moment of hating her, you're going to do more damage to that relationship than if you understand that there are moments when you're going to hate her, and she's going to hate you, and you have to work your way through that. And then your relationship yeah. can be better and stronger. You have to have that. Otherwise, you're going to be in one shitload of trouble in your life. Yeah, that's what the uh, uh, the Buddhists, Tibetan Buddhists, specifically would call having compassion for yourself, having compassion yep. for that side of yourself that that's is right. rageful. Or, yeah. My wife's a psychotherapist. She will tell you, if she were sitting here, that one of the things she does with her clients, you know, she sees lots of people in her office, is to get them to understand the legitimacy of having compassion for yourself. You have you ever thought about how movies influence your values and perspective? How the ideological messages baked into some of your favorite films might inform your politics more than actual politics? Then you should check out our podcast, Movies vs. Capitalism. I'm Rivka Rivera. I'm an actor, playwright, and artist educator. And I'm Frank Capello. I'm a writer, producer, and political content creator. Each week on Movies vs. Capitalism, Frank and I are joined by a guest for a fun yet critical discussion about a movie and how it's obviously a scathing indictment of late-stage capitalism. Yeah, 
like how Office Space is a comedy about worker alienation. Or how Ants is a kid's movie about the military-industrial complex. You've Got Mail is really a psychological thriller about the effects of market consolidation. Yeah, You've Got Mail is seriously fucked up. Yeah, it is super fucked up. Movies vs. Capitalism is produced by The Lever, a reader-supported investigative news outlet. You can listen and subscribe at mvcpod.com or search for Movies vs. Capitalism in your podcast player. And we'll see you at the movies. Yeah, the podcast. Yeah, the podcast about movies and capitalism. Ooh, movies versus capitalism. You are the product of a difficult childhood. Most of us are. And you better come to terms with it. And along the way, you did things that weren't good and were shitty. And you have to understand that. Criticize yourself? Sure. Over, outgrow it? Sure. But do it with compassion for yourself. Otherwise, yeah. you're going to create as many problems as you think you're solving. This is widely understood. This kind of thinking that you're getting here is very primitive. It, it, it's, it's good and bad, right and wrong, evil and noble. And you have, you're invited to legitimately hate over and over again, the choice yeah. of the, of the word hate is extraordinary. Why isn't why is this not criticized socialism? Here's a, some faults in socialism. Yeah, here's a critique Fine. of Fine. communism. Yeah. You're, you're yeah. skipping over all of that. You're yeah. just saying these people are beyond conversation, beyond debate, beyond disagreement. They are. Hateful to the point you don't have to worry about the details. Hate them. Hate them. Refuse them. Reject them. There's a very short step to kill them. Yeah. I will say this in in their defense. They do differentiate between communism and socialism insofar as (laughs) uh, Dennis hates communism and thinks it's evil. And he, and this is the title of our next video that we're about to jump into, socialism, apparently it's big sin is it just makes people selfish. Let's, let's listen to some of this. Whatever its intentions, socialism produces far more selfish individuals and a far more selfish society than a free market economy does. And once this widespread selfishness catches on, it is almost impossible to undo it. I can't, I can't, even, I can't even understand how you get there. Just basically, just, if you just have a basic grasp of what socialism is. If you just, if you just know these, these countries that are brushing up against socialism, Sweden and Denmark and whatever, mm-hmm. how you view the countries that are more socialist than others as more selfish. I can't even understand how his brain gets to that point. Well, my experience for what it's worth is that, Americans have for a very long time lived in a very isolated igloo in which they could indulge every conceivable kind of nonsense about what everybody agreed was bad and not, not wanted, socialism and communism. I have been in the room with very smart people who have taught me a lot, much to learn, And then suddenly when the conversation comes to socialism and communism, out of these otherwise nice people, smart people, comes junk. I mean, just just silly junk. And I look at them, and this has happened to me all my life. 
I look at them and what's going on? I know you. I know you're capable. I know you're capable. You have taught me subtle relationship. You're really good at it. What are you doing? It's like a person who every time you have seen them is appropriately dressed. When we go to the beach, they have a swimming suit. When we have a formal event, they've got their tie and their jacket. Okay. And now it's, you know, your friend's birthday party and they arrive with no pants and a balloon over their head. And you realize what the hell's going on here? You, you know, you see an anomalous, weird situation. So here's the example I'm going to give you. I'm an economist. So I go all the time. And this has happened to me as recently as last week. So it's in my head. And we're discussing this, that, and the other. And out comes the following sentence from a professor of economics. Well, socialism has never worked. <laughs> and I look. Huh? What? And I say, well, what do you mean? Well, it doesn't work. You can't, you can't run a society that way. I said, uh, but you know, there are societies that call themselves socialist. Yeah. And they don't work. They don't work. Yeah. How, how, what does that mean? I ask. They don't function. They don't, they don't produce goods and services for their people. So I look at them and I say, okay, China says it's a socialist country. It calls itself socialism with Chinese characteristics. Okay, so socialism, that's what they think they got. For the last 30 years, the GDP of that country has grown three times faster for all those years than the United States. What do you mean it doesn't work? The single most important objective of most countries in the world is to stop being poor and to grow rich. Mm -hmm. China has done it in shorter time for a bigger country than any place else on earth. They are a big fat success. What are you talking about? You know, they look at me when I do that and one of two things happens. Either they begin to have that look of a puppy, a puppy that just shit on the rug and you came home and you're looking at the puppy and the puppy's looking at you and the puppy understands before you say anything, what just happened couldn't and shouldn't have happened. Or if they don't give you the puppy dog look, they start talking about how there's not enough freedom in China. And I have to interrupt them and say, you know, I got all kinds of agreement and disagreement with you about freedom, but I wasn't talking about the freedom. I was talking about something else. Can we stay with that? You're an economics professor. We're used to staying with the economics and bracketing the other. Not that the other isn't important. It is. But that, and then they get upset. And then the conversation quickly dies because they got nowhere to go. Right. But so you have to ask yourself, this is a smart person. This is a nice person. What the fuck happened here? What's going on? And the answer is they've been in countless living rooms, cocktail sessions, classrooms where this kind of junk is spoken to one another. And everybody nods because saying socialism doesn't work is edifying as a, as, a, as, a, as a noise. And so you issue that noise out of your mouth, other people are equally edified, they nod, and you are reinforced in the legitimacy of saying that. And then they come into a room where I'm sitting, 
and suddenly they have a weird experience, it's not legitimate. And they don't quite know what to do. And I don't know what to do. I don't want to make an enemy out of this person. I don't want to hurt their feelings. But you're, you're talking junk, you know. It just is. And by the way, when I go to Europe, I never get this. This is a very, um, I get people who don't like China. No, no, lots of those. But this kind of crap, no. No, you can't. Let me, do let me ask you a question, though, because there, there's that great, I keep thinking of that Mencken quote the, um, uh, what is it, never argue with a man whose job depends on not being convinced. That's right. These are economists you're talking about. What, what happens to them if uh, they all start talking like you? <laughs> well, it, it, I have to tell you, it doesn't look like there's a big risk of that happening. No, anyway. no, no. I understand, but I'm saying from, <laughs> from their point of view, what happens to them if they go, oh, shit. Uh, you got a point there. What happens to them if they start adjusting? There are a few like that, and there are more these days than than there ever used to be. I'll I'll, Mm -hmm. I'll say that. It is happening to me, but it's still not very frequent. I think what happens, to be honest with you, is that they begin to need to make explanations for what's wrong with me. In other words, (laughs) um, this is so anomalous that something must have gone cuckoo uh, in or around me. But it's difficult for them because I'm a professor like them. And if anything, my pedigree, see, among academic economists, everything pedigree has to do with where you went to school. Uh, uh, you, had, you, went with the, you went with the big ones. That's right. And, and then they, where you they, are, yeah. they, are, they are all intimidated – by the way, they shouldn't be. Nothing goes on yeah. there. I'm telling you, if you ever <laughs> want to know, I can tell you, nothing at all goes on there. But these are institutions that spend a lot of time and a lot of money hyping themselves. And that yeah. has worked. The American intellectual community is absolutely convinced that in the toilet of Harvard University, it doesn't smell. Having been yeah. in that toilet countless times, I was at Harvard for four years. I can assure you, stinks like normal, right? Uh, this is the way. But anyway, so they have a problem with me because, well, let me give you an example. I use it these days. I didn't use it. My classmate at Yale getting my PhD was Janet Yellen. She's in the, she sat in the same room, read the same books and articles, heard the same lecture, from the same professor as I did. I know exactly what her education was because it was the same as mine, right? I watch her up there talking stuff I know she knows is not true. Mm. Or uh, unless, we're not friendly, so maybe she changed in the intervening years. That's possible. I, I wouldn't know that. But she knew that the things she's saying now our nonsense. Our teachers told us that, you know, and it was, I have to say, so they look, they don't know what to do with me. I've got all these right. pedigrees. I'm supposed to be like them. In a lot of ways, I am, but not here. And for them, it's it's awkward. It's always been awkward. Well, and the problem is you, you tend to make sense and back up your arguments in ways that... <laughs> Well, I, very yeah, confounding I, you know, I made a decision. 
My first job offer was at a place called Johns Hopkins University. That would have kept me in the Ivy League because it's one of the Ivy League schools. So that would have kept me in that circle. And I was young. I had just gotten married. And my wife and I sat down. And I turned down the job offer uh, from Johns Hopkins University Economics Department and took a job instead at the City College of New York Economics Department. My professors at Yale called me in and told me that I was a lunatic. <laughs> I, I had just turned down a filet mignon dinner in order to eat rancid corned beef hash and that this was a sign that I was gone. And they threatened me. They thought they were doing me a favor. They really didn't mean to help me. They told me, you can still undo this decision, make a call, explain that you were ill, don't do this. And then the threat, we can't write letters for you. Uh. And the way academic jobs go, at least at the up at the top, it's not about anything other than a phone call. Your senior professor calls a senior professor at X school. They have a friendly chat, and then you get hired. That's how this is done. And they were telling me, uh, we can't proceed because you you just had sex in public with a kangaroo, and that's out of order. We can't do it. You know, it, it was like that. It was, you know, just that's the way this works. Uh, anyway, I'm could I can I respond to the business about selfish? Sure. Yeah. 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 Okay. Let me respond. Um, the notion that there's something about uh, socialism that tends to make you selfish strikes me as having the same uh, quality of truth as saying that there's something about socialism that gives you stomach aches or that makes your nose run or that gives you a bad cough. Um, it's so stupid that it, it, it begs for people to be kind to a person who actually thinks that because they need <laughs> obviously professional help. Having said that, let me remind you that the single most frequently repeated slogan endorsing capitalism is attributed to Adam Smith in The Wealth of Nations. And the quote goes roughly like this. If every person pursues their own individual self-interest, it will lead to the greatest good for the greatest number, as if we had been led to that outcome by the invisible hand of God. That's where the invisible hand comes in. Notion, if you understand that slogan, if you understand that quotation, it is the greatest single rationalization of selfishness ever uttered in the world. It is a statement that the pursuit of your own interest, pretty much what selfishness means, is okay. Because in some mysterious way, as led by the invisible hand of a God who's also invisible, it's worked out to be the best for everybody. This is a legitimation 
of selfishness. It says you can pursue, you don't have to worry about the larger good. You don't have to worry about the community. You don't have to worry about anything other than pursuing your own self-interest because capitalism works it out as if led by God's invisible hand to that outcome. Every student is told that. They're not told. Well, that's the thing that Prager Prager hits hard too in a million different videos. Yeah, I'm absolutely. It's, yeah, I mean, which nail is very bizarre without ever. Yeah, I mean, he talks about it all the time. Social, there's nothing in the canon of Marxism, socialism, and communism, which I know a lot about. There is no equivalent slogan or aphorism or quotation that would be anything like it. You are required. And by the way, I would argue that most religions. Certainly the Christian religion, Judaism, Islam, are actually clearly saying the other. You are responsible. You are your brother's keeper. You're, right. you're not just your own keeper. You're your brother. You know, you, you are responsible for the community, for the collection of people. For the each according to their ability to each yes. according well, to you, their you, need. Yeah. Every, all of those religions and also socialism and communism are about your your collective responsibility. You're the product of a collective and your job is to take care because literally you were created by other people and you were nurtured by other people and you kind of got to pay back what was done to make you there, etc., etc. That's why you're supposed to honor your parents. Mr. Amazing. I, I, I'd never seen kickback. Uh, you know, I have a lot of issues with Obama, but remember when he said, you didn't build that. It's one of the few times I heard him say something that I just went flat out like, yes, That's thank right. you. I did not expect. That's and right. the pushback on that from, from yeah. Democrats and Republicans was astonishing. You know, there, yeah. there's a hundred. I love the, the, the Delta blues, you know, black people's blues music from the South. There's a, there's a whole bunch of songs that have in common the following thing. I am a man, but I did not make myself. Americans hate that. They really really want to believe in the quote-unquote self-made man, which is an absurd contradiction, right? But the blues music understands, you know, I didn't make myself. If you're ever going to have compassion with yourself, you have to recognize you didn't make yourself. And there were things along the way that were hard for you and that shouldn't have been done to you. And you got to kind of work your way through. Anyway, strikes me. Yeah. Yeah. Here's an illustration. In 2010, the United States president, Barack Obama, addressed a large audience of college students. At one point in his speech, he announced that young people will now be able to remain on their parents' health insurance plan until age 26. I don't ever recall hearing a louder, more thunderous, or more sustained applause than I did then. Had the president announced that a cure for cancer had been discovered, it is highly doubtful that the applause would have been as loud or as long. But what were they so happy about? To be told that you can now remain dependent on your parents until age 26 should strike a young person as demeaning, not liberating, Throughout American history, and for that matter, all of Western history, 
The great goal of young people was to become a mature adult, beginning with being independent of mom and dad. Socialism and the welfare state destroy this aspiration. In various European countries, and now increasingly in the U.S., it is becoming common for young people to live with their parents well into their 30s and not infrequently beyond. And why not? In the welfare state, taking care of yourself is no longer a virtue. Why? Because the government will take care of you. Wow, it's just so, it's just such a mishmash of stupid. Yeah. <laughs> but really, I mean, I have to tell you, I don't know if you can get this in, but it is, it, it, it sort of, it takes your breath away, it's so stupid. You know, you, yeah, it really does. Whoa. You're not used to refuting that because most people wouldn't dare say such a thing if even they believe it. <laughs> well, the, it, the notion that more adults are living with their parents because they're <laughs> selfish as opposed exactly. I mean. <laughs> no, no, but I, here's the way I would deal with it. <clears throat> oh, if you God. really believe that you shouldn't be taken care of by others, you should be on your own, then the first thing we should do is have a 100% estate and inheritance tax. Yes. yes. <laughs> 100%. Think, yeah. Well, by the way, that was the logic of doing that. Societies have done that right. in the past. And the argument was very simple. You don't have an equal chance if one of you is piss poor and the, you, you know you're born into a piss poor family she's born into a rich family we all know what's going to happen one of you is going to go to a private school the other one isn't one of you is going to have tutors if you have a problem the other one isn't you know one of you is going to not be bothered by the police the other one is going to be bothered by them all the time blah 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 we all know we all know so you have an inheritance tax because that's the only level playing field. That's the only arrangement where we kind of all start with the same and then we do as well as our capabilities enable us to do. So that's always been the idea. So if, he, if this man wants us to take him seriously, he would have to advocate the much larger question of inheritance and estate taxes, which he's conveniently left out. But even greater, what does he therefore think? Every European country has a national health insurance. They don't uh -huh. have to wait till you're 26. You have it the whole life. Talk if America, the Europeans must be basket cases of human beings who have no independence <laughs> at all because they have a national insurance. They don't have to applaud if you get it to 26. You know, it's my family. My, I have my French family. I know what they get. They get yeah. sick. They go to the doctor. That's it. It's it's it's. Yeah. It, you don't pay anything. You you get a card if you're a French citizen. You're part of the national health. Whenever you have an injury or an illness, you go to a doctor. You show him the card. He sticks the card in the computer. That's the end. You don't pay anything. He gets the salary right. from the government, and you don't pay. It's taken out. When I was your, 24, I hurt my knee playing basketball. And then I just walked on it for a year and a half until somehow it got better because that's the American healthcare system. I couldn't <laughs> afford to fix it. That's right. So that's yeah. why they were applauding because they don't want injuries that can happen or anything else. To they just want to live their life. lives. You don't want yeah. one emergency room visit to end your life. Yes. It's, it's right. And by the implication of his argument is that if you have money, and therefore you can buy health insurance, then it then you deserve it. 
because you don't want to damage people by giving them the money or the insurance without the money. So then it becomes a question, if you have the money, you take care of yourself. And if you don't, well, then, you know, fuck you. Uh, you know. Yeah. And the, yeah. by the way, we're not supposed to call that selfish. As can we also talk? Can we also talk about the fact that this man who is speaking in this no, video no, no, has no, a no, child? We oh, can't. Okay. Yes. No, you can talk about that. I thought you were going to the other place, which I'm saving for about no, five minutes from now. He has a child who he has running his consultant firm, who he pays a salary to. So he literally just shovels money to his child right. while making mm -hmm. this video. But that's what they always do. They always scream about the thing that they're most mad about is always what they're doing. Right. Oh, well, just wait. Let's right let's wingers. move on then because we're going to get to a good version of that. Entitlements create citizens who lack a character trait that every human should have. Gratitude. Mm. You cannot be happy if you are not grateful and you cannot be a good person if you're not grateful. That's why we constantly tell our children, say thank you. <laughs> but socialism undoes that. After all, why would a person be grateful for receiving an entitlement? Who's going to be grateful for getting what they're entitled to? Yeah, the, the stupidity there, the stupidity there is he doesn't even understand what the words mean. An entitlement is something that the community in a whole determines you get. In other words, it's the society that this determines what an entitlement is. Social security is something that was established in the community of the United States, put up to a vote in the elected Congress. In other words, all these so-called entitlements were gifts given by the community to its own members. In other words, if you're entitled when you're sick to a visit from your pastor, if you're a church-going person and you get sick, it's common, at least in many churches, that the, the cleric of your institution comes to visit you and see how you're doing and offer to help and the usual things that priests and ministers and rabbis do. Okay, you, Are you entitled to it? Well, sort of. That's what the church does. But of course you say thank you, you appreciate that the community has established your entitlement to it. Otherwise, entitlement starts having disconnected from the universe and drops out from the sky. Or even worse, is something selfishly done by the individual. The individual isn't the one who gives you these entitlements. The importance of Obama making this statement is his, in his position as the head of state, he's announcing that the state apparatus is going to change the rule to give you another five years of this. But it, it, it's a gift of the community, as is everything else that we call well, and, and speaking of service. And speaking of, I want to I play another clip for you that wasn't part of this, but in 2020, Prager University saw a 55% $12.3 million increase in contributions from the year before and a $15 million increase in net worth. At the beginning of COVID in 2020, Prager himself did a series of videos downplaying the severity of the virus. Shortly after that, they took out a little more than $700,000 in PPP loans, which were then forgiven. 
So here's Dennis in a fireside chat from October 2020 after getting his loan forgiveness. I have friends, I people I know, not only in America, who because of the lockdowns in their countries and in America have no job. So they're given a government handout. They, they are so depressed over getting money that they didn't earn. That is good for them. That is such a, a good statement on their part. By the way, I have off, I do believe this. I don't speak uh, hyperbolically. Uh, I avoid exaggeration. I, so what I'm about to say may be wrong, but it is not an exaggerated point as far as I'm concerned. I believe it is harder for most people to get off the addiction to free money than it is to get off addiction to heroin. So I've done a lot of digging and I can't say it's been completely thorough because there's a ton of videos and he does a lot of radio shows, but I have never been able to find a single instance of Dennis Prager expressing gratitude or humility for the government handout they got in 2020, which I guess should not be surprising. Right? I love, I love the doing everything for yourself. Yeah. (laughs) Did he build the roads upon which his automobile rides? Right. Yep. Did he he clean the the roads upon which his automobile rides? Did he clean the internet? He's delivering these missives to us. Yeah. I mean, he, (laughs) Everything I did myself, it is the the Mm -hmm. delusion of the self-made man. It is the need, the desperate erasure of all of his dependencies. Talk about toxic masculinity. I mean, his is is a caricature of a disease, what this man has. He really believes he's made it on his own. What? What? Yeah, it's... It's really this, no, this, this particular, yeah. this particular thought, this is a, a conversation. One of the most frustrating conversations I've ever had in my life was with my 19 year old nephew who was trying to explain to me, he knew a guy who had a ranch and he didn't need the government. And you just go through, well, what about the poisoned water that might happen? What about that? You go through all the things that yeah. a government provides for you and they, their brains like you, you just watched their brains break because yeah. they have since day one been told they did it all themselves right. and they didn't need anybody's help. And they did this by themselves. Right. And Prager is the greatest. He's a perfect example who someone who's been showered with conservative money to create propaganda. That's all he is. He's taking money from other people to do propaganda. That's his job. He's not a self-made man. He's not doing anything but just taking money from rich people. That's all he's doing. Anybody who's inherited a nickel is not a self-made man. You were made yeah. by your father or your mother yeah. or whoever left you the friggin' money. And I mean, that's why, I mean, I'm glad you're doing this. And I admire that you have the patience to listen, which you apparently do over and over again, <laughs> to this shit. But, you know, I'm, I'm glad. It I'm hurts, glad man. It hurts. Your shoes. <laughs> It hurts. It's a, it's a small price to pay to get no, to spend time know, talking to you. I know you're right. I know you're right. <laughs> and really, I can give you independent uh, reinforcement because this comes from my students. I hear all the every one of these things in one form or another. You know, but I'm indulgent with my students. They're young people. They're they're interested. They're trying to think about it. Sure, they come out with this horse shit. That's what they heard from their uncle or their mother or, or whatever it was. 
and I'm not I'm not going to beat up on them because I want to persuade them, and so I'm, I go out of my way to be understanding, and I try to introduce, and most of them are open to another way of thinking. Mm-hmm. It's these older people that have been spewing this horse crap all their lives. They're the ones that have a hard time getting out from under. They've been in that yeah. little room that I told you about where everybody nods in agreement to the horse shit they keep recirculating. You know, meanwhile, between you and me, and I, I have lots of criticisms of China, so it's not that. But the Chinese are laughing all the way to the bank. They, they, mm-hmm. They're walking away with this. I mean, did you? Yeah, oh, yeah. You see, a week ago, we're in, in Ukraine. The British, our allies, are about to send the Ukrainians depleted uranium. Yes. Lunatic behavior. And the Chinese arrive with the Shiites and the Sunnis arm in arm, shaking hands, exchanging ambassadors. One side is walking away with the economics and is beginning to walk away with the politics. And this yeah. side is figuring out, you know, what, which way is up and having a hard time with the question. You know, what? Really, yeah. I, I have, and I've not had this before in my life. I have the sense of a system literally disintegrating. We are. I, I wondered. I wondered that about you because you've been around. You've been watching this for much longer than we have, and to us, it feels like it's disintegrating. But yeah. I also haven't been, you know, teaching as a professor for years uh, about oh, it this. Is. It and, is. I, w- I would tell you, I didn't until recently. I didn't. Mm-hmm. You know, I did. There's an old joke among Marxists. I'll let you in on one. Right here we go. Marxists are very proud for having predicted ten of the last four recessions. <laughs> right, that's a yeah. joke. But you know, like all good jokes, it has its grain of truth. You know, Marxists have been pro. Oh, the system's falling apart. Oh, so I don't want to go anywhere near there. I, I'm. Mm-hmm. I, I am honestly impressed by capitalism's difficulties that it was able to survive. You yeah. know, I have that feeling about the Roman Catholic Church. I can't believe all the things that church. went wrong with that church. And here it is. It's still there. Yeah. And I still have that part of my family and my friends who go to church, who have their kids enrolled in a Catholic school, all of that, all of that. I'm, I'm amazed. And I think it's a, something that you have to think through, try to come up with an explanation what are the means by which this institution, given all its problems, has been able to, to survive? And I say that about Faith. capitalism too. But with all Faith. that, it's the same thing. The last, yeah, the last two or three or four years, you know what's happening? Too many problems have accumulated. You, yeah. can't, you can't solve six of them at the same time. Look at us. We are raising interest rates to stop an inflation. But it kills the banks. So uh, to save the banks, we are having the government backstop all the deposits. But that floods money into the economy, which is the equivalent of pouring kerosene on the inflationary fire. It's going to make it. It's like when you're very old and sick and the doctor comes in and says, we can't do anything anymore for this person. They've got their following 11 diseases. If we give them medication for one, it worsens the other. If we give them medication for two, it clashes with the medication for nine. I mean, we're done. We can't. We can't. We can't. Yeah, it's, that's, where it's our, a, that's where our economy is, is heading if it isn't already there. Yeah, and it's it's I, I, the past couple of years I've been 
looking around going, oh, everything's broken. Yes. <laughs> like every education system, you yeah. go through everything, the healthcare system, everything's broken. And, you know, it's like you said, there's the enormity of trying to fix that is unbelievable. Yeah. I mean. Let's let's let Dennis go out on this one because we're almost at the end of it. But the truth okay. is that capitalism and the free market produce much less selfish people. Teaching people to work hard and take care of themselves and others and that they should earn what they receive. My God, put him in a mine. Put him in a fucking coal, a coal mine for 50 fucking years and tell me about hard fucking work. Put him in a mine. Notice, by the way, I mean, not, not that you would have any trouble, but taking care of others. Notice he too slips. He too yeah. slips, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, that's interesting. You know, taking care of others. But yeah, he's in that self-made uh, crazy place. He's also, his ignorance is, and maybe that's worth exposing, capitalism and the free market. Capitalism yeah. is a market system. That's stupid. I don't know how else to do it. But again, it's the stupid that flies because everybody says the same stupid to one another, so it passes for okay. What's wrong with it? Uh, capitalism is in no way unique about having markets. Capitalism is in no way unique about using markets. Free markets, whatever that term means, I suppose not interfered in by the government is something that has existed in many systems that are not capitalist. He doesn't understand any of that. Nobody's ever bothered either to teach him or he can't learn. Let me remind you, slavery is not capitalism. In slavery, one person can own another. We don't have that in capitalism. In slavery, the person who owns the other person, doesn't have to pay anybody wages. Work gets done, but no wages exist, no salaries exist, none of that. The slaves do the work, but that's because they're the property of the master for whom they work. So there is no need for wages. There is no need for anything. Okay, do they have markets in slavery? Yeah. The slave market, asshole, that's what it was, a market where you buy and sell things, you know, markets. Did the government regulate them? Often not. So therefore, it would be a free market. You know what the slaves did in the American South? They made cotton. You know how cotton was distributed? By the market, moron. I mean, <laughs> slavery had market. So don't call capitalism the market system because that's just wrong. You don't know enough to understand. You, you know everything I just told you is true. You just never had anyone put it together for you. There right, was markets right. and feudalism. By the way, in the Soviet Union, there were always markets. In China today, there are always markets. So markets are a mechanism used haha, in all of these systems. Therefore, it's not a way to distinguish capitalism from anything else, you roaring idiot. But <laughs> you use it that we are the market system. No, you're not. Stop. Private property? What the hell do you think the slave plantations were? <laughs> Public property? They were private property. 
Stop. You, you, you idiot. You, you haven't even figured out what it is you're celebrating. Because if you're yeah. celebrating markets, then what's wrong with the slave market? That's a market. People are buying and selling. Cotton is a market. They're buying and selling. And everything else they produce. Stop. If you're celebrating markets, then you're endorsing slavery. You nasty man. You know, wh <laughs> what? The levels of stupidity here begin to be things he's stumbling over, too. That that seems like a great place to go out. Uh <laughs> Dennis Prager has uh, driven our guest, Professor Richard Wolf, into just a sputtering. <laughs> anger. I, I, I've listened to many interviews with you, sir. I've never heard you go off to that extent. <laughs> uh, but that is the problem we face doing doing this. Yes, yes. Is, is, oh, and uh, that's that's why I'm willing to do this with you, and that's why I, I I literally I mean it. I applaud you for doing it. This is stuff that has to be done. If, if yeah. the left in this country is going to get anywhere, it has to get in the trenches with this kind of mentality and at least try to get the people who hear that shit to hear something else, to hear a critique, to hear an alternative. Well, you won't get them all. I get that. But you will do important work lessening the likelihood that people will find all of that shit reasonable. And that's why I love TikTok because I on there my son watches someone like a Prager say his thing, and then another person comes along and slowly breaks down why it's stupid and does not make sense, right. and it's just all garbage. And TikTok is educating kids on that stuff in a fantastic way. Hmm. Well, you know they may have canceled it today. I know. Well, I like <laughs> is the Chinese? Yes. Yes, all the Chinese. Oh, no, I'd rather have Facebook on it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot more people are vulnerable to hearing the critique than you might imagine. That's what I've, a lot of my students uh, who didn't know what they were getting, they didn't know me. They signed up for the course because, you know, they needed three credits over there. Yeah. Um, but they have these ideas. But when you begin to challenge them, they find that very interesting. No one's ever done that with them before. And they're quite open to it. So, I mean, yeah. I think you'll be surprised. All kinds of people are going to find it interesting because they've never heard a critique of that stuff. You know, Uncle Harry yeah. said it around the Thanksgiving table and everybody <laughs> right. got it. And they would be very, they don't like Harry anyway. So, they'd like to hear a critique. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. We want to sincerely thank Professor Richard Wolf for enduring this torture with us. Uh, we'll be back next week uh, with a little bit of a departure. There's, uh, there's someone we've always wanted to discuss, uh, and there's a weird and tenuous connection to PragerU, so we're going to be kind of using that as an excuse. But um, that's all I'm going to say for now. Uh, it's going to be a very fun one. Very interesting, I think. Uh, remember, if you want to support the show, there's a few ways you can go about it. First, you can become a paid supporter to The Lever. This will give you access to our bonus content and theirs. Um, it'll give you access to The Lever Premium podcast feed with extended interviews and tons of special bonus content. And if you'd like to make a one-time contribution that goes to me and Dave and Brian and Colin, you can leave us a tip at levernews.com slash audit. There's a button for the tip jar. It'll take you to our Venmo page or you can go directly to Venmo. Uh, we are at the audit at Venmo under businesses. And remember, you can follow us on Twitter at, at the audit podcast or email us at the audit podcast at gmail.com. 
We'll be back with more of this next week. And now, prepare to surrender your brain to Colin McCoy, a.k.a. Diesel Boots, reckless and irresponsible earworm of a theme song. Good morning, class. Good morning, Professor Today, we're learning all about socialism, deviant sex, and devil worship. Yay! And how cool it is. Hail Satan, but I want to learn about Jesus. Oh, Timmy, science fiction is next week. If you finally had enough of hippie college left-wing fluff, get yourself a real degree from Prager University. Good news, class. Bill Gates is here to give everyone free vaccine. Yay! Science is a commie plot. Our professors can't be bought. All textbooks are Soros free at Prager University. My pronouns are he and him. No more guilt, no more blame, no more hetero white male shame, no apes on your family tree at Prager University. We want to thank our incredible support team, uh, Brian Ciano, our free floating agent of chaos, AKA research guy. And also Colin McCoy, who does all of our music. You can also find him. He out there in music world. He is known as diesel boots.